Inspiration. Turn up the motivation. You're on the Ziggler Inspire podcast. Zig Ziggler wants you to be your best. Today's lesson is what is success? Many of you do not realize this, but there's a lot of pollution in the air, and you know that. But there are chemical changes that take place in the human body, particularly as they have a few birthdays. I might have told you this earlier, but, you know, our body really does speak to us. And as you get older, it gets downright talkative. Well, anyhow, uh, when you combine the uh, pollution in the air with the chemical changes that take place in your body, it has a disastrous effect on the lenses in your glasses. Well, a few years ago, uh, the effect had taken full force. I went to see my optometrist, uh, Bob uh, Barker, and uh, for the new glasses, the uh, bifocals. And he examined me, you know, wrote the prescription, said, see me next Thursday. Well, the following Thursday, I went back in. He fitted me with the glasses, said, how do they feel? I said, they feel good. He said, they look good, too. You're on your way. Well, I walked to the front door, and my car was only parked about 20 feet from his front door. And as I headed for the car, you know, I was really uh, picking them up and putting them down, you know. Obviously, I didn't realize that until I got within sight of the car. And there was my right leg up there about three feet. I saw the reflection in the window. Well, you know how you are when you do something that's not overly bright. You think everybody in town's looking at you. So I looked around. And nobody was paying any attention to me, none whatever. But realizing how silly I must have looked, I couldn't help it. I just laughed out loud. And then I had a fascinating thought. You know, the reality is the business I am in is that of optometry. What I do is I fit people with new glasses. And the purpose of this new series is to fit you with a brand new pair of glasses. Now, let me tell you, these glasses are not rose-colored. You know, it's not utopia that I'm going to be talking about. You probably know that utopia is an ancient Greek word meaning nowhere. So I'm not going to be talking about utopia. But these new glasses are vision glasses. They will permit you to see things that exist around us all the time, opportunities, excitement, chances to serve, chances to do things that have been there all the time. But we simply have been unable to see them. No, these are not rose-colored glasses, but they're not woes-colored glasses either. The reality is these are vision glasses. You know, Solomon said this, my people perish for lack of a vision. Uh, Dr. Albert Schweitzer, in the declining years of his life, was asked, how goes it, Dr. Schweitzer? And he said, my sight grows dim, but my vision is clearer than ever. Helen Keller said, there's one thing worse than being blind, and that is not having any vision. So we're going to look at some vision. We're going to look at some things that we can really do that will make a difference. Let me simply say also that these vision glasses are reversible, meaning simply that when you turn them around, they permit you to look inside of you and see some things that have been there all the time, but you have not recognized them before. You see, a lot of people have no earthly idea what they can do because all they've been told is what they can't do. Now, they can see where you'd be successful, you'd be successful, you'd be successful, you'd be successful, but 
not me. Uh-uh. We're going to change that perception with these glasses we're going to be uh, sharing with you. Donna's song this morning about take me back to my early belief. Take me back when I was a baby Christian. Passion is when you catch a glimpse of the potential that is there. When you realize the potential that you're given in Christ, incredible things will happen. Last week, the redhead and I, and for you visitors, when I talk about my wife, I always call her the redhead. She's a decided redhead, as some of you know. I mean, one day she just decided uh, she was going to be a redhead. Now, when, I, when, I, when I'm talking to her, it's always sugar baby. And her name is Jean. And as some of you know, she has been inducted into the MasterCard Hall of Fame. So uh, she's excited. Uh, she believes her spiritual gift is shopping. Her little car gives her 19 malls to the gallon. Well, anyhow, uh, here, about, <laughs> uh, here a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was now, we went out to uh, dinner with our granddaughter, Amy. Now, her name is Sunshine. I've called her Sunshine all of her life. And just kind of to demonstrate the power of words, when she was a little tyke, she got negative on us. She started whining and griping and complaining, you know, and so I changed her name to Sunshine. And it's amazing what that name change did. And I told her why I called her Sunshine, because she was always smiling and always laughing and always so friendly and always having such a good time. Well, at this particular dinner, I think uh, the redhead and I agree that uh, that was one of the most exciting dinners we had ever been to. Now, I had the privilege of baptizing Sunshine uh, many years ago. But, you know, she had gotten away from uh, her new love, her new faith. And then for the last six months, she's been praying very heavily, asking God to restore and give her the desire to love him more. And I'm here to tell you, folks, that had you been there, you would have caught fire. I've never been as excited before that I can remember because she was just exuberant about all of the things she was doing. The coincidence is, quote, you know, coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. The coincidence that were taking place in her life and the joy and the exuberance that she was experiencing was something that absolutely is one of the most beautiful things ever. Return me to the passion, to the joy of my birth as a Christian is a thing we want to talk about. We want to help you catch a glimpse of what faith really is all about. Faith, you know, is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. In the book of Hebrew, the 11th chapter and the 6th verse, it says very simply, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Very significant. Without faith, I don't care what else you do, it is impossible to please God. In the book of Romans, in the 10th chapter and the 17th verse, here's what we read. So then faith, a lot of people wonder where does it come from? So then faith comes by hearing, and listen to the rest of it, and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't come from having heard the word of God. It comes in many cases from hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And then one day we hear. I so vividly remember I as a child was in church somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 times. I'd heard many times. And then when I was 45 years old, by hearing again, I heard the message 
And I'm telling you what a dramatic difference that made. In the book of Romans again, in the uh, 10th chapter and the 9th verse, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from death, you will be saved. And listen to the rest of it. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, don't miss one of the significant things in that reading. What it says when he's talking about Jew and Greek, what he is saying there is very simple. Whether you're black or white or brown or yellow or Jew or Greek or whatever, this is the way to come to know the Lord. We have a colorblind Lord. He does not discriminate. He does not honor the rich or the poor. He honors the believer. Now, in Psalms 19, he says something here. Uh, so many people, I'm going to read that in a second, but so many people are dominated by fear instead of faith. Now, they cannot coexist. You cannot have one. Uh, you can have one or you can have the other, but you cannot have both of them. The Bible says in the Psalms 19, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. In the Bible, 365 times it says, fear not, fear not. That's one for every day of the year. Why did he put in there so many times? He is saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to have faith. Now, I get my little dictionary out every once in a while, and I did on this occasion. I looked up the word fear. What is fear? Well, it's a painful emotion, is what the dictionary says. Excited by an expectation of evil, dread, terror, or fright. But in 1 John 4, 18, we read, The love of God casteth out fear. Now, when you think about fear and forgiveness, when we understand we are forgiven of our past sins when we commit our lives to Christ, He's guaranteed he's going to be right with us, though I am with thee always, even until the end of the earth. When we understand, he says, you've got eternity in front of you with me. He takes care of the past, the present, and the future. And so faith is the key. And first, uh, John 4 does say, the love of God casteth out fear. Well, what is this thing called success? How does this tie in? How can we get it? I got to confess to you that if I made millions and millions and millions of dollars but destroyed my health, would I be successful? Not in my eyes, I would not. Now, I got to confess, folks, that I'm amused at those people who are always putting money down. Two thirds of the miracles that Christ performed had to do with, and the parables had to do with our physical and our financial health. Uh, as you've heard me say, maybe uh, money is not the most important thing in life, but it is reasonably close to oxygen. I mean, you know, when you need it, there just aren't that many substitutes for it. But had I made millions and destroyed my health, would I be successful? Uh-uh. Suppose uh, I had gone to the very top in my profession. 
suppose then one day one of my children had said to me, you know, Dad, it would have made such a difference in my life, been so important to me, if while you were motivating all of those other people, had you had just a few minutes in the morning to send me off with a cheerful word and an encouraging word before I went to school. Maybe, Dad, if you had done that, my life would not have turned out to be the disaster it has. Had that happened to me, would I have been successful? Absolutely not. Had I become the best in the whole world at what I do? And if as a result of that, I'd have devoted all of my time to that and destroyed the relationship with the most important person on earth to me, would I be successful? No way. And most of all, had I compromised my integrity? Had I done things that would have jeopardized me ever getting to know Christ, and this then you can't do that. He always has his door open to you. But suppose in my desire to please the secular world that I had neglected letting that elderly African-American lady into the home when I knew she was going to talk about faith all the way through. The price I would have paid would have been uh, enormous. You see, the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, for a long time, I wanted worldly success. I had uh, for a long time said, you know, as soon as I have a little fun, as soon as I am successful, then I'm going to take this religion bit more seriously. I will commit my life to Christ. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I got news for you. When old Zeke is doing it on his own, he just wasn't doing it. There just is no question about it. It was only after I committed my life to Christ and started studying God's way of doing things that I found out that they are the most successful methods in the secular world. I read in the book of uh, Matthew in the uh, 16th chapter and in the uh, 26th verse... Something that I think we all need to understand, and it touches on what I've just been saying. For what profit it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We got to get our priorities straight is what he is saying. A number of years ago, about six years ago, I received a letter from a gentleman in Toronto, Canada. In the letter, there was a substantial check. He said to me, I've got a good friend who is following the wrong role model. His role model, he says, is the most successful man he knows. As a result, my young friend is literally working himself to death. He leaves the house every morning at 6. He generally gets back between 10 and 12 that night. He's gone to sleep on several occasions and a couple occasions ran his car off the road as he was going back and forth. His health is suffering. His marriage is in trouble. And he said uh, he happens to have a great deal of respect for you. If you will permit me to bring him to Dallas and spend an hour with us, this check is yours. Well, now, folks, first of all, let me say I do not do any counseling. I'm not trained for it. I do not have the time for it. Uh, besides that, my natural inclination is to believe everything the last person I talk to tells me. So that does not really uh, lead to effective counseling. But here's a man who was so sincere about his friend and so concerned about him that he encloses a substantial check. He said, it's yours. I returned the check and I said, come on down. 
When we got there, when the, the young man and uh, his benefactor arrived, we sat down in my office. And as we talked, I started asking him questions. I said, uh, I understand you have a role model. And he said, yes, I do. I said, I understand he's your hero. And he said, yes, he is. And I said, well, tell me why. And he said, well, he's the most successful man that I've ever known. And I said, well, now, how do you define success? I said, now, in other words, what would you have to be, do, and have in order to be really successful? Well, he started, took, I guess, 15 minutes for this to come out because you, you, you kind of take a roundabout trip. But by the end of those minutes, he had said that if he had these things, this is what has come out of it. Everybody wants to be happy. They want to be healthy. They want to be reasonably prosperous and secure. They want to have friends, peace of mind, good family relationships, and hope. Now, I asked him, I said, if you had all of these things, would you consider yourself to be successful? He said, absolutely. And I said, now, you're modeling your life after a successful individual. He said, that's right. And I said, well, let's put the yardstick on him and see just how successful is he. I said, is he a happy man? And he reflected just for a few seconds, and he said, no, he isn't. And I said, well, we'll give him a failing grade on uh, that one then. I said, now, but why do you say he's not happy? And he said, well, I almost uh, never see him smile, and I can't remember ever hearing him laugh. And on top of that, he's got ulcers. So I said, well, now, you've already uh, covered a couple of things there, uh, he's not happy, and he's not healthy, and he certainly has no peace of mind, or he wouldn't have those ulcers. He said, that's right. And I said, well, now, tell me, how prosperous is it? And he said, oh, he's in good shape there. He's making lots of money and getting more coming in all the time. I said, okay, we will give him a plus on that one. Then I said, how secure is he? Well, understand, here's a young man that's wrapped up the fact that money gives us security. So he said, well, he's about as secure as money uh, can make him. And I said, uh, okay, let me tell you about a couple of billionaires here in Dallas who went bankrupt. How does your boss compare? Oh, he said he doesn't have that kind of money. I said, okay, that was an industrialist over in Fort Worth worth over a half a billion. He went bankrupt. How does it come? Oh, he doesn't have that kind of money. Ex-governor was worth over a hundred million, and he went bankrupt. How does he compare there? And he, oh, he said he doesn't have that kind of money either. So I said, in other words, there would be a question as to whether or not he's secure. He said, uh, yep, that's right. There's a, that's an honest evaluation. That's a good question. I said, now tell me, how many friends does he have? And he thought for a minute on that one. He said, you know, I don't think he's got any friends. He said, frankly, I'm not his friend. I just admire him because he's so, so and he couldn't see it that time, so successful. Uh, he said, actually, when you get to know him, the guy's actually a jerk. So I said, uh, okay, we will, uh, we'll give him a failing grade on that one. I said, tell me how he's getting along with his family. And he said, well, his wife's divorcing him. Well, we give him a failing grade on, uh, on that one. I said, uh, tell me, uh, how much hope does he have? And he said, well, he thinks he's got a lot, but the more I sit here, the more I realize that I don't, uh, I don't think the guy's got a prayer. And I said, okay, uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll give him a failing grade on that. 
I said, now there are eight things in life that people want, and uh, he failed one, two, three, four, five, six of them, got a plus on one and a question mark on the other. Now I said, let me ask you a question. Knowing what you now know that your eyes have been opened, would you swap places with him? Long pause. He slowly stood up, extended his hand. The interview was over as he said, no, I wouldn't. One of my proudest possessions is I carry it with me all the time in my wallet is a picture I got from the young man three years later showing him and his family, including the new baby. He gave it to me at a seminar I was conducting uh, in Washington, D.C., I believe it was. And he said, I want you to know, I got into a different occupation. I'm making more money than ever. My wife and I are happier than ever. I believe you're talking to a successful man. You see, when you really analyze it, a lot of times we just concentrate on one thing in life. And if you're a single goal individual, you probably will reach it. But in the process, you will be miserable if that becomes the dominating force in your life. Now, let's take a look at, at some of the things that I believe uh, make quite a difference. The question is, uh, how do you get more of the things that money will buy? We want those things. I, I, I like what money buys. I like to wear nice clothes. I like to drive a nice car, live in a nice house. I like to take that redhead uh, out to nice restaurants and on nice trips. I like to play golf at the country club. Every one of them costs money. I like those things. But I love the things that money won't buy. See, money bought me a house, a nice house. It won't buy me a home. Money will buy me a companion. Won't buy me a friend. Money will buy me a bed. Won't buy me a good night's sleep. Money will buy me a good time, but it won't buy me peace of mind. And in the final analysis, those are the things that people really do want. We turn again to the book of Matthew. And this time we go to the uh, sixth chapter, the 31st through the 34th verses. And here's what they say. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, you got your hands full today. Uh, you know, know you're staying up night worrying. God's going to be up anyhow. And you just simply must have that trust. Now, you know, we had a tornado warning in Dallas uh, yesterday in this area. And as I got to listen to the warning about the tornado... I thought about lightning because there were a few lightning uh, flashes as well. I got to thinking about floods and uh, earthquakes and all of those things. And as I thought about those things, it occurred to me how completely helpless man really is. There's nothing we can do about any of those things. 
And really, if we trust God, we get and set uh, the right objectives, then we have a lot of help. I love this acronym for goals. What are goals? That's godly objectives which assure lasting success. Now, a lot of times I've had people ask me as I talk about uh, being happy and being healthy and all of those things. They say, well, now, Zig, what does the Bible say about all of those things? I am writing a book, and it's going to be about claiming God's promises and embracing my responsibilities. And when I first conceived of this idea, based on uh, some other writings I'd been doing, and I got to pondering it, I realized that the 23rd Psalm, of course, is biblical self-talk, first person, present tense. Uh, I go to church and I hear these beautiful hymns, and many of them uh, are in the first person, present tense. And I started thinking, could we take the Bible and put all of it in first person, present tense? And and I really got excited about that, and uh, I got so excited, I started writing on it, and then I got even more excited, and I said, you know, I wonder, am I trying to uh, maneuver the Bible? Am I trying to make it say something that it does not really say? And I sent about 15 pages to our pastor and three or four other theologians whom I greatly love, trust, and respect. And they said, uh, absolutely not. You simply are saying what God is saying, and you're just putting in the first person present tense. Now, for example, one of the things I'm doing, as you'll see in a moment, I combine two or three verses in some of this. For example, if you were to take Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you take it out of context, it simply is not true. For example, I cannot rob a bank through Christ who strengthens me. I think you'd agree with that, all right? Now, but if I put the Lord's Prayer in there and John 1, 12 in there, and then it will say, as a child of God, with the mind of Christ, I can do all things in God's will who strengthens me. Now, you see, that makes it an entirely different thing. Now, let's read some things here about uh, some of the things I've done. What does it say about happiness? Well, in the Psalms, the 84th Psalm, the fifth verse, I am happy because I am strong in the Lord and want above all else to follow his steps. In Proverbs 3, 5, 7, and 8, I trust and reverence the Lord and turn my back on evil so he directs me gives me success, and gives me renewed health and vitality. Probably the thing that's mentioned or observed most and said to me most as I speak around the country is where on earth do you get all of that energy? Well, the Spirit, Holy Spirit gives me a lot of energy. And this stuns people when I say this, but one of the reasons I have so much energy is I listen to what I say. Now, that might sound just, uh, uh, you know, a, a little vain un- un- until, you, until you hear the rest of the story. You see, the reality is what's happening to you right now is you're being energized physiologically. When you hear exciting information, according to Dr. Forrest Tennant, of a motivational nature, your brain is literally flooded with neurotransmitters, dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin, uh, uh, all of those good things. So you are physiologically energized, and that's exactly... You, you think I can talk this loud and not hear what I'm saying? 
I mean, it really, it, it really works on the person who's doing the talking. Proverbs 3, 16, 22, my God-given wisdom gives me a long, good life, riches, honor, pleasure, peace, and living energy. I got to tell you, I get excited when I start looking at what God uh, offers to us. Psalms 63, 7, and 8, I am secure underneath the protecting shadow of God's wings and his strong right arm. Then I combine 1 Corinthians 2.16 with Galatians 5.22 and Matthew 7.12. My theologians say this is perfectly in biblical correctness. As a child of God, with the mind of Christ, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and a follower of the golden rule... I have an eternal friend, a host of earthly friends, and marvelous family relationships. In Isaiah 26, 3, I trust you, Lord, and my thoughts often turn to you. So I am in perfect peace. And in Psalms 24, 14, I enjoy becoming wise, so there is hope for me, and a bright future lies ahead for me. Now, why do we need to study our Bible? Why do we need to be in God's house of worship? First of all, this is where you need to be because there's an old saying which is so true. Uh, The Bible will keep you away from sin, or sin will keep you away from the Bible. Now, the reason you need to be here, if you're a Christian, uh, you can be a good example to others. If you're not a Christian, you need to be here searching and looking, how do you get to know Christ? But we all need encouragement. And the reason you come to class and come to church is you get the word of encouragement. Besides, you're associating, you know, with people like-minded who are ambitious, who are morally, though we're not saying that all Christians are perfect by any means. Not a one is perfect, as a matter of fact. But the chances of finding the right kind of people in church are dramatically better than they are in the bars. Now, it's true you might find an occasional uh, good person, you know, that frequent the bars on a regular basis. But as a good friend of mine used to say, you know, occasionally you'll find a good biscuit in the garbage can. But that really isn't the place to look. Okay. Now, I encourage you to do something I've been doing for some little while. Namely, I have uh, these little notebooks like the stenographers are used to use. And I take it with me every time I go to devotions at our company, Sunday school here or church here or anywhere else. And I keep a running record of the things that I have learned. And then if I ever get, uh, you know, if I'm puzzled about what I want to cover, I've got a wonderful source right here that takes me right back to my Bible. And it is a constant source of encouragement. As you look at the things that uh, we've been talking about, let me cover a couple of things because people, there are some people today who honestly believe that opportunity no longer exists in America as it did years ago. Well, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but nobody's entitled to the wrong facts. Eighty percent of all of the millionaires in America today are first-generation millionaires. Did you know that legal immigrants... In America are four times as likely to become millionaires in America as are the people who are born here. 
And that's true whether they're from the Orient, Central or South America, Africa, the Middle East, or Europe. And the reason was explained to me in minute detail by a four-year-old little girl. This little girl was with her two younger sisters and her mother. They got on an aircraft. I was headed for Norfolk, Virginia. I was the first passenger aboard. I was seated, I believe, in seat 2C. They got aboard, and uh, first the mother carrying the infant and uh, uh, leading the toddler, and then the little four-year-old came aboard. As she got aboard, uh, they were unloading the meals they were going to serve, and she was fascinated with how quickly they moved, you know, taking it out of one spot and putting it in another. And then she turned, and she looked into the cockpit. And as she did, she, uh, she saw those three marvelous figures with all of the, you know, the stars and bars they had on them. They saw all of the electronic gadgetry, as she did, in the cockpit. Probably more gadgetry than she had seen in her entire lifetime. And when she turned around, as the saying goes, those little eyes were as big as saucers. Ah, when she looked down that long fuselage, and it was a big one, her little eyes, she, she kind of stooped down a little bit, put her little hands on her just above her knees and said, Gosh. Gosh. That's what immigrants say when they come to America. They come with a vision. You know, they understand that there are difficulties. They're going to have to work. But the opportunity, they don't come looking for a handout. They come because it is their vision. It is their dream. This is a place where everybody can get rich. Everybody can make it in America. And what do they do? The first thing they'd do if they landed in Dallas, they would pick up the Dallas Morning News and turn to the one ad session. And when they saw an ad for a $6 an hour job, they would get ecstatic. Man alive, look at that. That's, the one. That's as much as I make in three days back home. Shoot, I'll work three, I'll work eight hours there. Then I'll get me a part time job. I'll work four hours there. A couple of nights a week, I'll go to the community colleges, get my education. I will live frugally. I will invest my money wisely. And by the time they realize we got problems in America, folks, it's too late. I mean, they've already made it. The gosh attitude. I'm absolutely convinced that as Christians, when we adopt the gosh attitude, When we make up every morning grateful that we're alive, grateful that we live in America, grateful that we'll spend our eternity with him, we'll recognize that we need to be sharing that faith with other people. Because the more you share your faith, the deeper it grows. The benefits you get will be absolutely astronomical. And think of the benefits the other person will receive. Sigler. Sigler. Inspiring true performance.